Greetings and salutations, creature lovers. This is Mr. Venom welcoming you to episode six of No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Before we go on, let me go ahead and introduce my cohorts for the evening. First, it is uh, the man from Cinema Attack. He is Mr. Derek B. How the hell are you, Derek? Uh, surviving, man. It's been a rough week. You come, Surviving a cold. I had a cold all last week. Ah, it sucks. Yeah, so if you hear it in my voice, I'm still recuperating, but hopefully better than I was a few days ago. That's good. Oh, awesome. Awesome that you're back on the rebound. Good to hear from you. All right, and then, of course, with us from the new Horror Countdown podcast, and also with me on Fresh Cuts, Mr. Don and Nelly. Don, how you been, buddy? Uh, doing good. Uh, just trying to, um, well, at the moment, prepare for a uh, massive show involving um, upwards of over 20 films that is part of a uh, special March Madness exploitation roundtable I'm doing. So not just wow. uh, try, not just uh, getting through these, but uh, trying to prep for uh, 20 films in about two weeks' notice and carry on uh, about prep work for five other shows for Horror Countdown. So... <laughs> <laughs> You're a busy man. Good to hear. Yeah, uh, busy and uh, underslept, I should say. Oh, well, at least uh, we got something exciting to talk about today. Wait, did I say that? Eh, we'll see if I'm right or wrong. So for today's episode, as you may have already seen, we are delving for the second time into the world of giant ants. This time we're going to be looking at 1977's Empire of the Ants starring Joan Collins of Dynasty fame. Yes, I'm an old man, so shut up. <laughs> uh, but before that, I thought or actually Don came up with a really great idea as this is the second time that we are looking at a giant ant movie. You guys will remember that for episode three, we looked at 1954's Them with our special guest, Bo Ransdell. And this, of course, being our second one, uh, Don thought that it might be a good idea that we kind of talk about what other giant creatures that uh, we kind of enjoy in movies, be they giant insects, giant mammals, hell, giant crustaceans, if you could think of one that you like. I could, I could actually think of one now that I think about it. So let's go ahead and uh, turn the reins over to the man who came up with the idea. And uh, Don, why don't you give us like your thoughts on giant creatures and maybe some of your favorites? Yeah, so I, I love uh, giant um, overgrown creatures. Initially, like, the first ones that came to mind were, like, um, were the films Ticks and Mosquito, where, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, each of them are, um, you know, overgrown insects, and, uh, you know, they grow to various sizes. When it's done right, I enjoy killer spider films. I remember uh, this one called Arachnid, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. It was something about um, a group of people that got stranded on this island, and they discover that um, some chemical weapons left over from the war t- mutated the spider species into, like, the size of a house or something. But um, <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, it's from, the early, it's from the early 2000s. I think it's... Um, I, I would have to pull up my DVD case, but I think it's by Jack Scholler, the guy that did Alone in the Dark. Oh, really? I think so. I, I could be wrong on that. I'd have to pull out my DVD case. I mean, I can look at it while you guys are talking, but I believe that's the case. So I remember really liking that one. Um, I mean, a couple of, you know, the other ones would be, um, you know, 
the giant claw with, you know, the overgrown turkey that it uh, <laughs> tries to pass itself off as a killer bird. But yeah, um, I, I, I really like them. I, I, I prefer when they're overgrown rather than just, you know, a horde of small, of traditionally sized creatures that just run rampant. Mm-hmm. I much I prefer like those kinds of films, and that was kind of like what I was thinking of when I came up with this was that okay, yeah, this one kind of it does go with the horde mentality, but I I much preferred when you know it's like a singular one that's oversized or multiple ones that are like a couple that are oversized. I always find those are really fun, and uh, you know it's you, you know the idea that you know you're not used to seeing something being bigger than it really is and it coming after you. I always thought that was like a great concept and a great premise. And, you know, the best ones, they, you know, they play with that idea and they just let them run loose and run rampant and, you know, attack and kill as often as possible. So, yeah, I uh, I, I mean, there's a, you know, I can sit here and mention a couple of others, but I don't want to take up any titles that you guys could have come up with. So I'm going to go look for that other film I was talking about and let you guys uh, wrap up. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, Derek, why don't you jump on in here? Talk about some of your favorite giant creatures. Hmm. You know, I'm 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 a big fan of the giant. I I, I kind of realized recently because when I called out at work the other day, I took a sick day from work. And like like I said, I'm a big fan of the crocodile killer gator and crocodile movies. <laughs> like I had a, like a whole marathon of like I watched the 4K of another movie that we might be talking about later on, and then I fucking uh. Saw that the Lake Placid sequels were on Sci-Fi Channel on demand, so I watched (laughs) up to part four of those, which, that was a pretty fun experience. Uh, How ridiculous some of those plot lines get of those movies. Mm -hmm. And how bad every sheriff is in that town. (laughs) Especially when you get to part three with Michael Ironside's sheriff. Oh boy. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) With his, with his fucking fish finder fucking tractor that doesn't go. work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually, you know, I actually okay. love the original Lake Placid. Like, like legitimately love it. I, I Betty White just makes that movie for me. Rest in peace, Betty White. But yeah, just, man, that fucking movie is so fun. And I mean, she, God damn it, she steals that movie. I mean, it's it's a it's a giant alligator or crocodile movie. I forget which that Betty White basically steals. So yeah, oh, I mean, but Placid? yeah, Lake Placid, the original. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. So oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. You guys are talking about Derek's little uh, yep. croc marathon, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. What yeah. else, Derek? Yeah, and, and then I watched Blood Surf, which I love, and Cro- Toby Hooper's Crocodile. Which should have been the right Toby Hooper film to do during our Killer Croc episode, Mike. <laughs> Just saying. I'm going to say this. I one of his five best films. I love Crocodile. It's fun. Yeah. Eating Alive is a little, I don't know. I think it's overrated. I hate saying that word. I don't want to say overrated. Just, um, I think it's just a little bit more popular. So it gets all the love when people say Toby Hooper crocodile movie, they instantly go to Eating Alive. And uh, yeah, I totally agree. Crocodile is so much better. Yeah. That's a crocodile movie. Yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah. in general, I, I, I'd put that as one of his five best films. Well, I, I, I like Eating Alive. You know, Venom knows this, but, uh, I, I I felt weird because it's more of a fucking psycho man with a pet crocodile movie than anything. Yes. Yes. You know? Exactly. And the so much of the focus was not yeah. on the crocodile. Yeah. Exactly. 
And, you know, I agreed with that point to the end. But uh, anyways, there's actually another movie that I actually never seen until... This is weird because this is when Scorpion Releases was doing, like, their limited Blu-ray runs. There's this movie called Island Claws where it's a killer crab movie from the early 80s. It actually, ironically enough... Uh, the star, one of the stars of Empire of the Ants, Robert Lanzan's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about it, it's a very slow burn because you get like many crabs till the very finale when you realize, oh, there's a mama crab and it's <laughs> a fucking giant kaiju sized crab that they hate the fight. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's pretty fun. You know, it's it has like a slow burn pace to it though. You know, it's because there's like a mystery. They're like, oh, what the fuck's going on in this town? You know, it's like one of those type of movies. But yeah, it's fun for what it is. Uh, I love killer insect movies, though. I do. Mm. Like, like uh, I watched Blue Monkey earlier because I got the Blu-ray of that in. Right, I've never seen that. Yeah, and, and everyone's like, why the fuck is it called Blue Monkey? <laughs> when you tell them it's a killer insect movie, they're like... They explain it in the movie. It actually has to do with a scene in the movie, but yeah. Uh, Don, did you ever I, see Blue Monkey? Years ago, I could. I I can't tell you much about it. I I remember it being in the hospital, but yeah, that's the thing I love. It's it's like a fifty style killer bug movie set in a hospital. Yeah, um, I, I I I vaguely remember that, but I mean I. I I, I can't tell you much more than that. Um, I, I remember late 80s and it being in a hospital, but I, I can't tell you much more than that. Yeah. yeah. I, I like a lot of different, like, I like little guys, too, like like monkey. I wish there was more killer monkey movies. <laughs> like, I watch Congo, like, every fucking, you know, that's like a movie I'm going to shut my brain off. <laughs> Just watch fucking white gorillas fucking kill. <laughs> people <laughs> you know plus Ernie Hudson's fucking great in that movie Ernie Hudson's one of one of the best reasons to watch that movie <laughs> yeah yeah him and Tim Curry stop in Delaware Lindell stop eating my sesame cake <laughs> so good yeah yeah nice and That's uh Okay. So I, was, I was gonna say, um, no, just because you, I, I didn't know you stopped or not, but um, update on the uh, Jack Shoulder thing. It is the same dude. <laughs> alone in the dark. Wow. From alone yeah, in the dark to fucking arachnid. Is that Brian using a production? Yeah. That makes <laughs> sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I go with that. All right. So for me, in these uh, this world of giant creatures that we uh, kind of exist in. I'm kind of right there with Don. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of arachnids for people who don't know in general. I've got a couple of scorpions and a couple of spiders tattooed on me. I, I just I'm a big fan. I used to actually raise scorpions back when I lived in Pittsburgh right after I got out of college. So giant arachnid movies have always been a favorite for me. Um, any giant spider movie. Hell, even if it's not necessarily a giant spider movie, but it has a great giant spider scene in it, something like Lord of the Rings or even Kong Skull Island. Um, you know, I tend to gravitate towards those scenes because of just how spectacular those giant insects look. But uh, one of the more modern ones that it, it pains me to even really call this a horror film. It's solidly an action comedy, though it is solidly a, a creature feature, and that's David Arquette's Eight-Legged Freaks. I mean, 
I, I'm probably going to make, make some haters for this one, but Eight-Legged Freaks is one of my favorite guilty pleasures. I absolutely adore that film. I have so much fun with it. I have yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll never say that it's a great film, but it, it, it hits so many checkboxes for me for what I look for in a fun creature feature. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, you know, CG effects be damned. Obviously, you know, CG never ages well, but I, I still just love this movie. Um, so, weirdly, I don't own it. It's one of those movies that I'll leave on if I see it coming on somewhere on TV or on a streaming app or something. But I, I should probably pick that up. I, yeah, I, I just got genuinely from Screen Factory, too. Oh, nice. All right. Well, that gives me an excuse then. Uh, another kind of movie that uh, a lot of people maybe don't talk about is just called Spiders. Um, Spiders 3D, as some people would know it from 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen that one. Yeah, that one's With Patrick cool. Muldoon, my favorite actor. Yeah, all there you go. Not not a classic, quote unquote, necessarily, but a movie. Uh, once again, a movie that an arachnid fan like myself just tends to gravitate towards, you know, just really fun, over-the-top effects, over-the-top creatures, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there was a great movie from, I believe, the late 70s called The Giant Spider Invasion, or the mid-70s. That William Rebane. <laughs> yeah, these big, giant, black felt spiders covered in just black felt. Some of them had some purple on them, too, which was kind of interesting. But these, this was like an alien thing where uh, uh, a farmer, a local farmer, basically found these pods that kind of look like rocks. But uh, apparently they fell from the sky out of an asteroid or something. And when they crack open, you know, a, a little tarantula will pop out. And of course, as it is a horror movie called The Giant Spider Invasion, the spiders do continue to grow as they eat. Until we get to a a finale with what is what? I mean, a a spider the size of a gym, like just a gigantic, ridiculous, like carnival spider uh, chasing these people going about two miles an hour. But, you know, God bless them with the low budget that they had. They did what they could. And the movie is definitely more funny than it is tense or intriguing, but it's one that I've just always had a really good time with. And the Mystery Science Theater guys uh, riffed this movie as well, which, you know, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I absolutely adore Mystery Science Theater and riff tracks and, you know, any kind of riffing content that's out there. It's just something I've always loved, so... Anything that they touch, uh, you know, like the giant leeches or um, the beginning of the end for fans of giant crickets. Uh, The beginning of the end is a fun one. A lot of superimposed, you know, kind of like what we're getting today with Empire of the Ants. Um, You know, some superimposed mixed with some, you know, practical uh, cricket props, if you will. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit and see how Empire of the Ants handled it. But then I wanted to bring up a couple of modern ones that don't. I don't I they might still fall under this category but the thing is is that the, since these creatures aren't of this earth like thus far we've talked about earthbound creatures we talked about spiders and you know crocodiles and things like that but these two movies are two that I really wanted to point out for two different reasons the first one is Starship Troopers I I know a few of you out there probably groaned as I said it but it's a kill me Rico (laughs) it's just another one of those absolutely guilty pleasure movies that I thought at least for the time I mean I saw this in theaters when it came out I thought the effects looked spectacular at the time again CGI doesn't age well so what are you going to do? But 
I, I just remember having just an absolute blast with this movie. Like literally within five minutes of the start of this movie, you know, it's a spoof. It's a parody. Like there's just the whole movie is tongue in cheek. There's not really much to be taken seriously, but yeah, it's Paul Verhoeven, man. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, you know, it's just going to be a silly if you can shut your brain off enough and just accept how all these beautiful young people are somehow, you know, military volunteers going off to kill giant insects, then you're going to have a good time. And that's another movie that I return to, you know, at, at least once a I just, year. I just ordered the 4K. Oh, I didn't know that was available. I guess uh, I know what I'm buying next. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. And that might actually, I mean, the thing about 4K is that sometimes it actually makes bad CGI look worse. Hopefully that's not the case with Starship Troopers, but we'll see. Um, uh, just, um, mm-hmm. Real quickly on that, um, when the first DVD of that came out, um, I believe it was pretty much accepted in the industry that the DVD scan on that was industry standard. Mm-hmm. That it was the top of the line transfers as far as DVDs go. So I'd imagine if the 4K came out, it would look even better. Oh, yeah. Like overall quality, I'm totally there with you. I just noticed that sometimes when I pick up some of these 80s and 90s movies on 4K that actually have computer graphics, that the the picture is so clear that it, it makes it look even more obvious that the computer generated thing isn't in that world, you know, that it's kind of pasted on there with a the computer. Uh, yeah. um, it, that's not always the case. Um, th- thankfully, that's a rare thing. I, in fact, I can't even think of an example off the top of my head, but I do know that I've, I've bought 98. Uh, yeah. Okay. That, I, I haven't seen the 4k, but I would believe that since, those effects weren't exactly spectacular even at the time. So, um, and then the last movie I'm going to bring up just so we can cut this segment, uh, you know, a little bit short is, uh, going to be the mist again, not earthbound insects, but they are very insect like, I mean, there's spiders, there's flying mosquito creatures. Now, obviously the mist gets a little Lovecraftian, the, the farther into the movie you get, you know, with tentacles and giant quadruped monsters, the size of, you know, skyscrapers, but man, th- that opening like 30, 40 minutes of the mist, man, is just I- I've always thought it's just so tense, you know, and, and not just with the, you know, the humans versus the creatures. But obviously, you know, the humans start to kind of factor off into sanctions themselves or uh, excuse me, fracture off into segments, you know, where you've got the religious zealots and and then everyone else kind of fighting against each other, trying to survive these creatures. But th- the mist is one that. I absolutely had to point out, and I can almost guarantee that that's going to come up on this show because I, I adore The Mist. It's it's one of my favorite Stephen King uh, books. It's easily my favorite audio book. Uh, I haven't heard every single Stephen King on audio, um, but The Mist and It are two that are just absolutely exceptional. Uh, you know, always had a really good time listening to those two audiobooks. So if you have an Audible subscription or a subscription like that and you're interested in Stephen King, check out those two audiobooks. They are amazing. And, and then even when I saw this movie, I think I saw it like three times in the theater when it came out. I just I was so in awe of how what a great job that they did with it. This is one of the only instances where I read the book before the movie. I'm not much of a reader. I will absolutely admit that. I'm I just I'm not a reader. I don't have the patience for it. But The Mist is one that I had actually read and when I went to see the movie, 
the fact that they changed the ending and somehow made it better. I mean, granted, it's not that hard to improve on a Stephen King ending. He's synonymous for uh, not having Ur- the best endings in his story. Urine and sex. There you go. As pointed out in It Chapter 2, exactly. By himself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, by the man himself, exactly. What Frank uh, Darabont, what Frank Darabont did with this ending, holy shit! I mean, this is this is the gut punch of all gut punches. I mean, I I can only think of one or two examples of other movie endings that struck me the way that this one did. Especially, like I said, because I read the book and thought I knew what was coming, and then they give us that ending, which I won't spoil on the off chance that a few of you haven't seen The Mist yet. But then when that ending occurs, I literally sat in that theater with my mouth open for a good five minutes. I was in such shock and awe of what that somebody was able to improve um, on a Stephen King book as a whole. And just to leave me with that impression as I'm walking out of the theater of, you know, I just went on this spectacular two hour roller coaster ride that ended with a professional boxer punching me in the face. You know, I, I just wow. That was an experience for me. It, it's a rare experience for me, anyway. Not a lot of movies can do that. So, the, the, so that's the other, it. <laughs> the other, and the other movie that made you do that was Piranha Two. <laughs> the spawning. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I know. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's it for us, folks, with our uh, kind of look back at some of our favorite giant creatures. If you haven't seen any of those films, by all means, they are all high recommends from us. And if any of you guys are, you know, have joined us on the Facebook or the Twitter page, by all means, let us know what your favorite movies are. You never know. We may decide to review one or two of them in uh, future episodes. So with all that said, I'm going to go ahead right now and play you the trailer for 1977's Empire of the Ants. And after that, the three of us will dissect this, um, shall we say, interesting giant ant movie. It's for an eye, Gordon. It exactly. That's probably all you really need to say. Yeah. All, right. all right, folks, we'll be right back. Of all history's prophets... None has a greater degree of credibility than H.G. Wells. With his predictions of moon landings, ray guns, sonic signaling devices, is Wells right again in his prediction of dangers to come in Empire of the Ants? In this fantastic tale, Wells tells the chilling story of a colony of ants who feed on atomic waste, causing them to grow into large, voracious monsters. Let's get out of here! Come on! These giant ants are actually able to control humans. He needs us. That's why it has to be this way. Why we must obey. At first, the people don't understand. They must be forced into submission. After their indoctrination, they realize that the ants only want us to take care of them and work for them, feed them. That's the way it should be. They are superior. They don't want us to go that way, and they don't want us to go back the way we came. Oh my God, they're hurting us like cattle. 
H.G. Wells' Empire of the Ants. For they shall inherit the earth sooner than you think. All right, folks, that was the trailer for Empire of the Ants. Uh, Empire of the Ants, as mentioned earlier, is from 1977. It is directed by the infamous Burt I. Gordon, though it, is, it does come from an original story from H.G. Wells. So obviously the source material is there. It's just a matter of who sets it to film as to uh, you know how the inevitable quality of the film is. Uh, the movie stars Joan Collins, Robert Lansing, and John David Carson. The very brief synopsis for this one is con artist Marilyn Freiser tries to sell bogus real estate deals in an area overrun by giant ants. Hmm, I don't like that synopsis because it makes it sound like Marilyn knew the giant ants were already there. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very, yeah. very obviously not the case, but we'll get. And of course, Marilyn Freiser, the con artist in question, is, of course, the lovely Joan Collins, still lovely here in 1977. Well, at least visually lovely because, uh, let's be honest, she's a great A cunt in this movie. <laughs> I mean, that's about the friendliest way I could put it. But obviously, that's the that plays that role well. Oh, no, she plays that character incredibly well, hence the rest of her career pretty much throughout the 80s and 90s. She basically was TV's bitch. So, yeah, uh, good for her. You know, she found she found her niche and she went with it. All right, folks. So um, I think Derek was the one who brought Empire the Ants to the table. So it was done. Go- it was done. <laughs> oh, was it done? I thought I'm, I'm very sorry. Both yeah. your names start with D. So I just skimmed the chats and I just assume <laughs> who's speaking. <laughs> Yeah. All right, so Don, why don't you go ahead and start us up with some general thoughts and uh, uh, what you think of Empire of the Ants. Okay, so um, I've always been kind of um, on the fence with this one. My, I think it's a tale of two films. Uh, it's not uh, split down the middle, but it's actually uh, split into thirds. The first two-thirds of this film, I'm all on board. I, I love everything about it. It's fun. It's cheesy. It's just the right amount of suspenseful when it matters but the third act is kind of where it starts to lose me and it goes a little off the rails <laughs> I, I know that that's kind of the way the uh, source material is from what I've heard um, I haven't read it uh, nor do I plan to so I can't vouch for um, how accurate it is in terms of the original novel but yeah the first two thirds of this I'm all on board it's a fun cheesy giant monster creature feature film I love the ants in this. I, I think the ant props are some of the best that they've ever, uh, some of the best that's ever been put on screen. Almost as much as the giant ant in uh, Honey, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is an obscure reference. Oh, don't don't bring that movie up to me, man. I know that was kind of a, yeah, I know that was kind of a, you know, one of the. That's uh, a low ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I'm just saying is that um, the ant props that they come up with in here are really good, and I, I really like the way that they look on screen. Uh, some of the compos- uh, compository shots aren't, um, although it's kind of forgivable in that. The one thing I do like about this is, um, other than what um, Gordon did with the uh, crickets in the uh, beginning of the end, is that he actually has the ants doing uh, believable moves. Um, their their actions are realistic. It's just uh, they they kind of look obvious, so it 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 softens the blow a little for me. Um, it just um, it it just helps to you know put that uh, campy throwback atmosphere to good use. But um, yeah, that third act, I 
I, I, I try to like it. I try to see where it's going. Um, I, 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 to me, it's just, I, I think it's just such a tonal shift that comes out of nowhere because all of a sudden it's like the attacks just stop and the film just shifts gears rapidly into this dystopian sci-fi big brother kind of a film when it was this campy monster movie before. And I, the, the, I, I don't have no problems with the tonal shift. I think it's just one, it does it too late in the film. I'm already on board with it. I've, I've already enjoyed what I've seen for the first two thirds of it, that uh, switching gears so late kind of just makes it feel like it's another film altogether. But I, I think the idea of, where it goes is just something that I've never found interesting in general. So anytime that that kind of concept comes up, I'm just automatically guaranteed to knock it down because it's included in the first place. Other than that, I, I've certainly seen a lot worse. Uh, you could, you know, certainly, you know, do a lot worse in the genre, but if you're willing to go along with it, um, you can have fun with it. I can definitely see those that would uh, enjoy this a lot more than I do, especially, you know, if you're more familiar with the, concept, with the source material. But yeah, uh, in general, uh, the first two thirds are a lot of fun. The last third isn't, but uh, it's not a detriment and it's not a, you know, well, this movie is absolute trash. I have no interest in it kind of a thing. So take that for what you will. Derek, come on in here, buddy. Uh, uh, yeah, I actually have a very interesting history with this movie. I, actually have the VHS of this. One of my first VHSs was Empire of the Ants, from what I remember. And uh, that whole opening scene with the narrator, I watched <laughs> it today, and I'm like, this is fucking cheesy as fuck. He's like, because <laughs> he, pretty much, what I'm getting with, the whole thing, the reason that's there is to make sense of the ending of the movie. Exactly. He's exposition. Like, yeah. yeah, he's like, remember, obligatory. <laughs> he, he, he's like, fucking Bob Ross, look, I put that bush there. You don't see it, do you? You don't <laughs> see it. It's so cheesy when I've gone rewatch this time. I'm like, okay, they're trying to drill this into our heads, and, you know, because it has to make sense of the ending. And then, you know, Joan Collins is like, I'm going to fuck you later, Charlie. You, no, go get me a drink, bitch. <laughs> and fucking Robert Lanson's like, I just don't want to. He's like the Han Solo of this movie. I'm yes. Just, I'm just the boat captain. Don't ask me any questions. <laughs> I don't want to be here. Then you get uh, fucking Chris Pine's father, Robert Pine, as Larry Graham. Uh, who plays this big giant rapist douchebag piece uh, of shit? Yep. And you know, I actually did. This is funny. I actually uh, was stoned one time when I watched this movie, fucking for Thirty One Days of Horror, and I kept seeing videos. And I'm like, look at this fucking douchebag. I'm like, and then when the ant fucking kills, I'm like, yes, kill this motherfucker, <laughs> kill him, kill him. <laughs> I want to see his head pop off. Kill him. Uh, uh, I wish I had that video still. It was fucking hilarious. I was saying, like, shit, like, when they're on the lake, on the boat, I'm like, imagine if Jason Voorhees just popped off and fought all these ants. <laughs> it would have been ten times better. Oh, yeah, at least. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, there's the crossover we need. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I, you know, the, the the characters are kind of funny. and I love the, the fucking... 
the, the husband and wife that come just to make sure. Look, look at this. He pulls like the pipe out. Look at this, honey. It's a fucking fake. <laughs> They're fucking trying to get us, you know? And the old couple, when they hide, oh, it's so beautiful in here. Oh, God. They, they, those two. <laughs> yeah. I'm an old man. We've been to millions of these. You know, fucking, they're, they're funny characters. They're, they crack me up. <laughs> fucking, this the characters in general are just fucking hilarious and 70s is all fuck. Mm-hmm. Super imposing. It's Bird Eye Gordon standard. Like I said, it's kind of, I think it was done better in Food of the Gods than this. Unfortunately, Food of the Gods has a river of drowning rats in it, which sucks <laughs> for that movie. Uh, it's a movie, uh, it, it's kind of flawed, but I still have fun with it. And I think, you know, it's a reflection of the time period it was made in, in general. So oh, yeah. if you are interested, listeners, to check it out, I say still check it out. But, you know, it might be a little bit hokier than a lot of the other yeah. movies we talk about on this show. Definitely, definitely. Um, I myself actually have an interesting history with this movie. Believe it or not, seven-year-old Mr. Venom saw this in the theater. Now, I I say I saw it in the theater, and that is not a humble brag by any stretch, because obviously when you're seven years old, you don't have any choice in what fucking movie the family's going to see. Luckily, my father was a huge Joan Collins fan, like absolutely adored her. And then my mother, of course, is where I get my horror roots from. My mother was a big fan of giant monster movies. So this movie was just a no brainer uh, the summer of 77. And yeah, we went to see this and I have very vivid memories of sitting in the theater and like the scene where the ants are walking down the pier towards uh, Dan's boat. Yeah. Like I, I, I still have very vivid memories of seeing that in the theater and thinking, holy shit, that looks really cool. Um, that's the thing, folks, about a movie like this is that when this movie came out, it was mildly revolutionary. I say mildly, very mildly, um, because it looked really good. Like I remember uh, my parents and all of their friends talking who had seen the film talking about how great it was like they you know they they genuinely thought the effects looked good and obviously seven-year-old me i'm i'm impressed by anything but i remember the movie being like legitimately scary obviously for a seven-year-old uh but obviously this is one of those movies that does not age well um the effects don't age well the characterizations don't age well uh, Larry, the douchebag rapist does definitely doesn't age well in this day and age, though he does make a great villain, you know, you know, uh, an antagonist for the film. Now, my biggest issue with this movie, and it's not a major complaint, but it might be a complaint to fans of just pure creature features. This is an hour and 29 minute movie where the first ant doesn't show up until the 29 minute mark. I checked. So that means you're you're looking at an entire uh, third of this movie being set up on character development. And what they do with this first half hour of the film is to just set up these terrible characters. Like not everyone in this movie is a, a piece of shit necessarily, but there are a lot of pieces of shit in this movie. I mean, Larry, the douchebag is just, just the tip of the iceberg. Obviously, Joan Collins and her man. Uh, what Charlie, who put this, who put this whole thing together? They're obviously shysters who know that this land that they're on is worthless and will never be able to be developed. Yet they're trying to sell, you know, plots of property to these, you know, idiot investors, you know, n- people who aren't knowledgeable on real estate and things like that. So, 
And you can tell. I mean, these are all everybody here is either rich people, people with money or older people who maybe have retirement funds and they're looking to maybe invest some money, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, you're not looking at hardcore investors here. Um, honestly, you're just looking at people who wanted to take the free trip to go out to the island and check the place out with no intention of buying anything. Now, what I don't like about it is, like I said, that they set up what I don't like when a modern movie does it is this whole thing with setting up a bunch of shitty characters just to die later for our entertainment. It's something that I've always said I'm not a big fan of, even though I am solidly an 80s horror fan. And that's pretty much the thing in the 80s is to make all these good looking white people, uh, kids usually, you know, uh, as shitty as possible. So that when Jason or Freddie or Michael cuts them in half, we're, we're more entertained than shocked. You know what I mean? And I don't. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of that. I'd rather see a horror movie where I legitimately like everyone in the movie or at least understand their motivations and they don't come off as caricatures, you know, they come off like organic, legitimate people. Um, and then you actually feel bad when someone gets killed because to me, that's the most effective horror film when I don't want to see someone die and they do and it becomes like an emotional attachment type thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my gore fests. Um, you know, I, I talked positively about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 last week, much to the shock of many people, as I'm reading on Facebook lately. <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those things where I appreciate a good shut off your brain every now and again movie, uh, you know, a movie where I can just enjoy it um, at face value and not think about it too much. Empire of the Ants is that movie. I don't need to think about this too terribly much. But because it's a 1977 movie, I am a little bit more forgiving of that first act because I'm just laughing the whole time. I'm laughing at how shitty these people are. I'm laughing at this blonde who seems to try. It seems like she wants to get laid. But then when Larry the douchebag makes a move at her, she's offended. And then suddenly she's being aggressive with some other guy. It's like, holy shit, she didn't learn a lesson whatsoever. She almost got raped in the woods, and then she goes and eye fucks another guy, you know, on the boat trip. So it's kind of a weird dichotomy, but, you know, it's entertaining at least. It's funny. It makes me laugh, so I'll take it. But, yeah, I'm not going to say that I was bored in that first half hour. I'm not going to say that it was, you know, terrible or, or a chore or anything. For the for the most part, they're kind of funny characters characters even the shitty ones and admittedly i will have to just ad admit that i agree with bird eye gordon and at least in this case that yeah it is kind of fun to watch shitty people die especially at the hands of giant ants <laughs> i don't know why i said that why it's giant ants but hey um just to you know watch these people get taken out is moderately entertaining but once the ants come in in the second act, this is where the second act is actually my favorite in the film i, I thought this was really cool there's some really good tension Don talked about some of the superimposition, uh, uh, superimposed shots in the movie with, you know, real ants over, you know, human characters. And admittedly, they don't always look great, but one or two of them actually do look decent. There was one shot early on, very early on in the movie where actually, yeah, it's our first couple. When the first couple sees those ants and we see the couple in the foreground and then the real ants in the background kind of superimposed, I thought that shot looked really nice. Like, I was impressed today. Like, in 2022, I'm like, for 77, that's a pretty good-looking shot. I like that. But then later on in the movie, they, there's a shot with the old couple who hides in the in the shed. And they when they so step out of the shed, 
Oh, God. Yeah, they step out of the shed and they're surrounded by, again, superimposed real ants. That shot looks pretty bad. It's it's mm-hmm. not a great shot. There's some shots later on, too, that aren't great. Um, I obviously as a, as a seven year old kid, I remember the pier scene looking a lot cooler than it actually was because it didn't. Yeah. Up. Yeah. <laughs> a little silly this time around. You know, I, I, for what it, for what it was worth, I thought the effects were pretty cool. I thought the performances were fine. Like no, you know, nobody's performance or line readings or anything like that were like cringe worthy. Larry, obviously, like I said, is just a major douchebag and to watch him, you know, try to sexually assault a woman is never comfortable. But, you know, whatever. He ends up getting what he deserves twice, actually, because he, he does take a knee to the junk, which is very satisfying. And then, of course, later in the movie, he'll get his he, ultimate he comeuppance. A, he gets an ant teeth to the junk. There you go. <laughs> and then uh, this is where me and Don are going to start to align. Uh, the third act, this third act is an absolute mess. I mean, it's fun. I will say that. There's a lot of ant action. There's, you know... We, we get to see the queen eventually, blah, 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 which, you know, it doesn't turns into the French connection out and over. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, the, the queen, it doesn't end up being as impressive as say of seeing like the xenomorph queen and aliens or anything like that. But she just looks like a slightly bigger version of the other ants. Like she, <laughs> and she fucking screams. Yeah, this is one of the cho- this is one of the filmmaker choices that I really, really <laughs> like. Fucking Something like that. Ants don't have vocal cords. They can't scream. Now, I will give the movie credit. If anybody out there has ever done this, I have gone to YouTube and looked up what do ants actually sound like. Um, Ants do make noise. They rub their front um, legs together to make uh, a noise very similar to what we hear in this movie. So I'm going to give Bird Eye Gordon at least a little bit of props because the and sound effect, like the chirping, if you will, is actually very realistic. It sounds a lot like what real ants sound like. Obviously, we can't hear them because ants are fucking tiny. But if you boost them up to the size of a Buick, then, yeah, suddenly you're going to be able to hear that. So uh, props to those guys. But like I said, the screaming. Holy shit, the screaming. I, I just... I understand it's 1977 and people aren't thinking about science and physiology when they're watching movies like this. Only a dumbass like me would be thinking about that. But yeah, it just bothers me so much. Ants can't scream for fuck's sake. They don't have vocal cords. Their mouths aren't for making noise. They're only for ingesting. (laughs) Could you do your impression of the scream, please? Oh, God. It was very similar to the lobster in Teenagers from Space, too. Oh, God. I, I'm, this is going to be terrible. Okay, here we go. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was awful. But Don, Don. I, I got to laugh. <laughs> Don, I want you to do your impression of the scream now. I'm not in a space that would make that would make it conducive for that. Um, I have folks over, and um, I've got my dog at my feet. Don't want to scare the shit out of the dog. Yeah, um, I my, hear you. Yeah, I my dog. Yeah, my dog's at my feet right now, so I'm uh, not in a position to be letting out noises like that. All right, I'll do it now. Do it. Oh, my God. And, folks, if you haven't seen this film, it might sound like we're exaggerating. We're fucking not. We're not at all. It does does look like a few times um, when it's getting fucking Joan Collins high off her pheromones. Like, take this bitch. Ah! 
she gets high. Just yeah. Um, oh my god. Yeah, it's it, it's pitched a little it's pitched a little bit more melodically than what they were doing, but the the general idea is exactly on point. <laughs> oh my god, this yeah. <clears throat> and then obviously the big reveal of this whole thing because right at, right around the start of the third act is where the movie starts getting really weird. Um because it almost feels like it's a conspiracy, like the town is somehow working with the ants, but it's like yeah, and, and then of course, <laughs> as the police are taking our last few survivors back into town after their initial encounter with the ants, they drive by a sugar refinery. Gee, how fucking convenient! What what could attract ants more than sugar? Mm, nothing. So yeah, I, again, that's just bird eye Gordon greatness right there. Just fuck it, throw a sugar refinery right there. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, it's the French connection instead of heroin. It's sugar. There you go. <laughs> And and then then we get the like I said, we get the big reveal uh, that it turns out the opening kind of biology lesson that we get. Obligatory. Exactly. It it turns out if you weren't paying attention to that opening, you're not going to know what the fuck is going on in the third act, because he basically explains during that opening that uh, ants uh, communicate through pheromones. and that when they get a command through a pheromone response, that it's obligatory. It's not voluntary. Like they, they literally are almost like robots. They're like, oh, I just got an order. I got to go do it. And that's it. Like there's no question about it. And he was very, he was very, um, he, he made sure to pronounce obligatory <laughs> twice in that segment just to kind of beat it into your head that, hey, uh, th- this is what's going to happen, so pay attention. And yeah, that's exactly what happens. As it turns out, everyone in the town is working with the ants because they have been hypnotized, I guess, if you will, by the queen's pheromones. Basically, um, the sheriff of the town has the queen in like uh, a compartment at the sugar refinery. There's like a chamber in it where a person can step in and be there with the queen, and then the queen will literally spray them with her pheromone, and then when they come out of the chamber, they're like a robot. They, you know, they're emotionless. They're like, okay, now we have to work for the queen. And basically, that's the whole point: is this town is basically just trying to get sugar for these ants to basically feed these ants, and you know, it's an obligatory response for them. They can't fight it; they just do it. Which, I'm sorry that uh, when I saw that this time, anyway, I don't remember how I felt about that in '77. But watching it this time, yeah, it, that was definitely a facepalm moment where I'm just like, wow, that is a stretch. I mean, to think that an entire town of people would see a giant ant and not burn it alive long enough to get hypnotized, systematically hypnotize the entire town for them to then work for the ants. It's a little bit of a reach. I want a prequel, goddammit. I, you yeah. know what? I would be happier with one, actually. Yeah, that would be that would be fun. I'd like to see how you know this, this thing initially started out taking over the community. It's the more interesting fucking movie, to be honest. <laughs> Kinda, actually. To an, I mean, because like I said, this twist just comes out of nowhere, and it kind of leaves you scratching your head, like, what the fuck, really? Like, well, wouldn't it have made like, like kind of like what Don said earlier, where the first and second act are just a great over-the-top creature feature, and then the third act turns into like this conspiracy theory, you know, concept that just, 
I, it just makes the movie lose steam for me. Well, well, but the other thing too is that it kind of makes the ants' actions somewhat point, somewhat weird and count, count, contradictory because they're act, they're attacking and killing the intruders. So right. if if they're trying to recruit more members, why are they killing them? They should right. be grabbing them and taking. You know, like you should be seeing like dragging them away and not find. You know, like you never see like an on-screen death. Like they're just dragging them yeah. away, and like you know, you never find their bodies, and then you see them in the refinery in the third act, and realize, oh crap, they've been taking us here and hurting us all along. Okay. I would, I would have bought that a little bit easier because that would have made a little bit more sense. But yeah. to see them attacking and killing, and then to realize, oh, we need more humans, like that, just it just feels weird. It's true, yeah. For the first half of the movie, the the ants are very solidly against the people, the, the humans. It's just, they see them, they attack, and they kill. And then about halfway through the movie, it seems like the ants just decide, okay, we're not going to kill you anymore, now we're going to herd you. You know, like cattle. They even had that lines even in the movie, they're herding us like cattle. And that's what the ants are doing. They're basically blocking uh, three of the directions that the people can go down, forcing them to go down a specific path, which, of course, leads to the town and the sugar refinery. So, yeah, it's a little weird. It's like, why wouldn't the ants just do that right from the start? Especially because no one actually attacked any ants in this movie. I mean, if you really pay attention, no one goes after an ant. No one, like, sees an ant and attacks it or shoots at it or tries to set it on fire. Like, nothing. Every attack in this movie is instigated by the ants. So it does seem odd that halfway through suddenly they're like oh wait a minute we shouldn't kill them all we kind of need them even though we've already got this entire town um you know full of hypnotized people that work for us uh let's kill off half of this group and then the other half will herd in the town it's a little weird it, it seems a little too calculated for ants but you know the, the the little preamble at the beginning does kind of imply that ants are smarter than we give them credit for so yeah. i guess if you take that you know, as gospel, then okay, it kind of makes sense. But yeah. in the context of a Bert I. Gordon movie, no, it doesn't really make sense. But again, like Don was saying, it doesn't necessarily ruin my experience with the film. The third act is an absolute mess. But if you can accept that it's an absolute mess and that, that it's just a big old roller coaster ride for the third act, I think you can accept it and have a good time with it. Um, how the fuck the does Joe know people little, in Washington? What's that? Remember Joe Joe like knows people from Washington too? Like how the fuck does that come out of nowhere? Yeah, that's right. And then it went nowhere. Like yeah. literally he makes a phone he tries to make a phone call to somebody in Washington, DC. Uh this guy claims that he has friends in high places, but then he can't get a line outside of the town, and that's the end of the plot point. It never comes up again. It's like, well, okay, shit. You brought up that for nothing. Just to just to fill a two minute scene where this guy tries to make a phone call. And and then can't get through, and that's it. So yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those dangling plot points that's kind of left, uh, you know, hanging. But n none are as big as the actual end of the movie because this town is riddled with giant ants. And at the end of the movie, they kill what? They kill the queen, and then maybe a couple dozen at the refinery. So and, and then we see our our our, the, our remaining what three or four characters uh, go down the river in a in a little boat in a little speedboat, and that's the end of our movie. So it's like, 
wait a minute, that's not satisfactory because it's like, what about the, I mean, the potentially hundreds or thousands of other ants that are still in that town? If that sugar refinery doesn't provide them with the food that they want, they're going to eventually leave that town and spread. So I'm like, well, wait a minute. You just left this so wide open. I mean, this was worse than World War Z. It's like fucking you just left it wide open and I have no idea what to think now. Well, so the it's idea, like, I think the idea that they're going for is the hive mentality. If the queen is dead, then the other ants would would die off because there's no instructions being given. It, I, I, I realize it's not it's not very well explained, but I believe that may be the premise because a lot of times, ant colonies, if the queen will die, then the other colony would die, then the main colony would die off. The thing is, though, I have seen when a queen dies, uh, the next female that's born will be the new queen. Because um, generally, they don't keep the females in uh, in like uh, I might be thinking more about bee colonies than ants. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not, you know, bee, somebody yeah, might want to correct me. Yeah, but I, I I'm have. Saying, uh, I'm just saying. I, I think because of the hive mentality, mind you, you kill the queen, you kill every everything else because there's no one there to dictate orders. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I I can accept that. I guess. I mean, it's not it's not the biggest stretch of the imagination for me. Um, yeah. Uh, it just does seem odd because it's not like the ants would just drop dead. Literally. I mean, yeah, they would, they would run around aimlessly for a while because they don't have any commands. Like what the fuck do I do with myself? But it it seems like that town is still fucked because once they kill the queen, uh, the entire town comes out of its trance. Like everybody instantly realizes where they are and they all start running back to their homes. So it's like, I feel like there's like another half hour of this movie that they just didn't want to film the, the rampage in the town. Cause that's what I was expecting too. When the, when the main characters first get to the town, I was fully expecting, uh, like I was even rubbing my hands like a villain thinking, Oh, here it comes downtown rampage. I can't wait. And then I know I don't get it. I don't get my downtown rampage. So, you know, I, I got to go back to eight legged freaks for a downtown rampage, but still, it just felt like this ending was, you know, it, it was an ending for our protagonists. Definitely. I'll say that. Assuming they got away, because all we see is them, you know, going down a motor, uh, the river with a motorboat. It, you know, it's not like we see them back in New York or wherever the hell they're from. I know the movie was shot in Florida. I, I'm not sure if the actual setting of the film is supposed to be Florida. I can only assume it is. I don't remember anybody mentioning anything other than, you know, Dream Shore or whatever, Dream Lane Shores, whatever the fuck the name of the place was. But yeah, I mean, despite all its flaws, I think, especially for me, because I have a, a history with the movie and I have vivid memories of actually seeing it. I, I don't have a lot of memories of seeing movies in the 70s, like Star Wars, um, Night of the Living Dead, uh, and that was a drive-in showing for that. And and then this one, for some reason, I do remember Alien because my parents went to the drive-in to see the original Alien, so I do remember seeing scenes, of, like vivid memories of that. But yeah, uh, considering I only have a few memories of the 70s, like vivid memories of seeing films in the theater or drive-in in the 70s, this is one of them. And even though it's probably the least of all the movies that I've named, it still has its charm it still has a good cast if you can accept that it's 77 and that it's a low budget film you know um even though this was a theatrical release this was not a big budget you know big studio film by any stretch yo yeah aip (laughs) american national pictures yo damn right oh i'm sorry yeah (laughs) i went to aip but i i went to the art institute of pittsburgh so when i hear aip i think of my college (laughs) 
Oh, oh I got gotcha, you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I'm with Derek. Yeah, I'm AIP. The first thing I think of is American International. <laughs> no, no. I, and honestly, that should be the first thing I think of. But I mean, like I said, that's my alma mater. I graduated from there. So I, it's just and, I, and everybody called it AIP. Nobody called it the yeah. artist. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, away from my silly little life. Yeah. Silly uh, little life. Uh, can, <laughs> can we speak about Joan Collins' death scene, though? Yeah, please. Because she legitimately just gets sprayed in the face and just falls down. Yeah, it doesn't look like she gets impaled or cut or anything. I mean, that could be a Joan Collins thing. I know that a lot of big-name actresses don't want to die violently on screen. Like, they'll die. But one of the biggest stories I remember was... um. What's her face from Fatal Attraction? Glenn uh, Close. Glenn Close, thank you. Spoiler alert, uh, at the end of Fatal Attraction, you know she gets shot in the head, right? Right in the forehead. She didn't want to do that. Um, they, the director and uh, producer had to talk her into it. And that's kind of a common thing in Hollywood, that big name, you know, grade A starlets do not want to die violently on screen. That's why a lot of them don't do horror and things like that. So that that could be why her death scene is a little tame, as opposed to like, you know, um, Joan Collins' man in this one, uh, his death scene is pretty good because you know you you can see a deep gash on his chest you can see a deep gash on his neck when he gets attacked so though you know there are some cool deaths in this scene there, there's a good amount of blood not not a not not overflowing with viscera by any stretch but i mean you know considering you've got a pretty good cast um and you've got a theatrical release in the 70s yeah it, it's a decent amount of blood you know nothing too great I, I definitely wouldn't watch this movie for the gore specifically but you know as an extra component it works so yeah overall i'm positive on the movie it has its problems the third act is a mess the first act might be boring for some people if you're not into character development um especially character development of about i don't know 80 percent pieces of shit like you know we do have some good people in this movie quote unquote good but most of them are just POSs that are out for a free good time or just trying to get laid or whatever. Uh, God, Larry, Larry astonishes me because his wife was right there with him the whole time. It's not like he took a trip without his wife. His fucking wife is right there and he's hitting on every every woman with two two legs and a and breath in her lungs. Yeah. Holy shit. That, that was a little nutty. But, well, we see we see how much he loves her later in the movie. Oh, yeah, that was an infuriating scene. And the funny thing is, I thought his wife was cuter than, um, what's her face? Pamela, uh, yeah, Shoot. she is. I, I thought she was a lot cuter, and she's fucking rich. Like, what? what is the motivation to cheat on this woman? <laughs> I don't get it. You know who the actress was? Um, uh, no, no, I don't. Brooke Palance. And you Brooke know who her dad is? Well, the name sounds familiar. So I Jack. Can guess. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, I mean, like I said, Larry plays a good douchebag and most of what he does in this movie doesn't make any sense. So at least it's consistent. He's like, hey, one day my son will be Captain Kirk. There you go. But yeah, that that scene where he left his wife, where he very definitely could have saved her. Like, I mean, those. And he keeps saying it in the canoe later, like fucking, you know, I, uh, you think I left, left, I saw her getting eaten by the ants, did you? Yeah. You're blowing yourself well, you keep up. repeating it, I do, yeah. <laughs> he, he was defending himself even though no one was attacking him. That's pretty much the, one of the biggest admissions of guilt out there. It's like nobody's yeah. accusing you, yet you're still defending yourself. Shut up. Just, just you know, quit while you're ahead. 
I'm just glad that we're going to talk about Robert Lanzon and other creature features because he's also in the killer cockroach movie, The Nest. Ooh, nice. I haven't seen that in forever. Yeah. Like I said, I'm I'm looking at my notes at the tail end of my notes. My disappointment in the lack of a downtown rampage is very, (laughs) very clear in my notes. (laughs) Did you notice like the people's uh, were their like their voices were off? Because I actually looked it up. What, what do you mean, the sink? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know, actually notice, no. Yeah, me neither. Because because I was reading it on IMDb just now before we you know started to record. You know, mm-hmm. just to get a little... Because I was curious on it, because I kind of noticed with a few of the actors in this. Mm-hmm. According to Pamela Shoup, the sound man had a fight with the director towards the end of the shoot and threw all the audio tapes in the swamp. Oh, they shit! Lost- they lost everything, so they had to loop the whole movie over. Wow. Ooh. I hope they were union guys, because if they're not, they got fired forever. <laughs> Only Bird Eye Gordon movies. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a, I mean, man, it's one thing to be mad at a director or a producer, but then to purposely sabotage their artwork, you know, just because of a grudge. Yeah, that does seem a little crazy, but we don't know the whole story either. And who knows, Bird Eye Gordon could be a colossal douchebag, so, you know. But yeah. I don't care. He made Village of the Giants. He's a national treasure. The last <laughs> thing I wanted to, <laughs> the last thing I wanted to point out, um, did you guys notice the similarity in the score with uh Jaws? So the one piano thing that they played throughout the whole movie. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I'm like dun, dun, that dun, seems dun, really dun, dun. considering Jaws is only two years earlier, it seems like that was a ballsy move. Uh-huh. I mean, not to say that Spielberg would necessarily sue, but I mean, there were multiple scenes in there where I'm just like, what the fuck? That's Jaws. And then in the and then the very last song in the movie, like as the closing credits are playing, it starts to sound a little bit like Friday the thirteenth. Which obviously Friday the Thirteenth is three years after Empire of the Ants, but I'm I'm wondering if maybe uh, Manfredini got some inspiration from Empire of the Ants. Told you, told you, crossover, do it. I love it, Jason and the Ants. (laughs) Yes. Not bad. All right, gentlemen. Well, that's all I got to say about it. Either you guys have any closing statements on Empire of the Ants? Yeah, Yeah. good. Like I said, it's a little messy. Yeah, but but there's a lot worse out there that you could go with. Just it's a movie. It's a thing. Just go with it. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Yeah, definitely don't come into this if you haven't seen Empire of the Ants and you're still with us. I would say don't go into it expecting them because you know for 1954 them is an absolute classic. What they were able to do with that film is amazing, and this one. You know, pales in comparison. Obviously, they don't have big, big studio money behind it, whereas them, you know, I believe was Warner Brothers. So, yeah, they had money. Take this movie with a grain of salt. Realize as you're going into it, it it is a Bird Eye Gordon movie. It's going to be tongue in cheek. Um, Obviously, there's going to be attempts at, you know, grounding the movie in reality and things like that. But obviously, you know, when you're talking about giant ants, you know, how, how much reality can you actually get in there? But overall, I think we've all we all kind of agree on this one. It's a flawed movie that's still very fun and worth your time. I mean, it's only an hour and 29 minutes, as I mentioned earlier. It's a quick watch. Uh, No real pacing issues, even though, like I said, the first act is all character development. I I was never bored, at least for me. So I would say it never becomes unwatchable, but it's just one where you're kind of 
I, I did start to notice that I was kind of like, okay, 20, it's like, you know, getting around the half hour mark. I, I did notice that. I don't know if you caught it or not, but yeah, I, I did notice it, but it's not like turn your, turn this thing off or like fast forward or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for whatever it's worth, I didn't look at my phone at all during this watch. I didn't turn my tablet on. So, I mean, that's something doesn't necessarily make the movie a 10 out of 10 by any stretch, but at least it was entertaining for 90 minutes. And Honestly, that's all I can expect with a movie. If I'm entertained for the duration of the film, I'm happy. Is it flawed? Yes. Uh, but for those of you who listen to Fresh Cuts as well, you know I kind of have the same opinion as the last movie that we discussed, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. It's incredibly flawed, but I still had a lot of fun with it, which is probably going to make me a lot of enemies, but that's okay. because yeah, yeah, fuck those haters, Venom. Fuck them. Hey, you're, you're, you're just as free to hate what you want to hate as you are to love what you want to love. But don't give me shit because I like a, a yeah, shit. Yeah, don't try to force me to tell me <laughs> that I should not like this. Like some people that we know. Because most of the people like out there man. who will tell me that Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 is a piece of shit probably fucking love Maximum Overdrive. So fuck all of you for that because I fucking hate that movie with a passion. <laughs> ah, if anybody heard me review that on the horror cast, that was an epic review because I went fucking off on that movie. And the one of the biggest reasons I hate that movie is because I was there opening weekend and I had so many expectations and the movie literally just shit on all my expectations. And I've always hated it since then. But, but that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> What's up, buddy? Who made who, though? Yeah, that's the best part of the fucking movie is the score. <laughs> or listenable, I guess, if you will. <coughs> All right, folks. <laughs> that's one, long enough. One, one last thing on Empire of the Ants before we Oh, go. yeah, please. It would have got a 10 out of 10 if Don Amici was in it. Oh, God. If Don Amici and, um, oh, what's his name? Shit. If, if Don Amici was Larry, it would have been 10 out of 10. Oh, God, yes. Oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> Not as Larry. I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Ooh, boobies, oh. All right, folks. Well, that's it for Empire and the Ants. Uh, we, we all hope that you enjoyed episode six. Uh, luckily, we already know what we're going to do for episode seven. So I figured we'd go ahead and announce it. Give everybody a little bit of time to prepare and potentially even pick up the new release, if you will. But yeah, as it turns out, uh, one of my, and I know at least one or two of my, my co-hosts here, one of our favorite creature features ever, 1980s Alligator, just got a 4K Blu-ray release. I know at least two of us picked it up, so for episode seven next month, we will be looking at Alligator, 1980s Alligator. And not only will we review the film for the first time, we're going to go ahead and review some special features as well, as this is a fairly big creature feature release on 4K Blu-ray. I figured for the first time we might look at some special features. I mean, obviously the focus is going to be on the film, but... Uh, you know, we'll give you our opinions on it. Is it worth the 30 or 35 bucks that you might have to pay for it? Things like that. So, yeah, go ahead and prepare your yourselves, folks, for Alligator 1980. Hope that you can join us for that. So on behalf of Derek and Don, once again, this is Mr. Venom thanking you so much for joining us here on Creature Comforts. And we'll see you next month, folks. Take care. Bye. Ah! Dog finally left the room.